Hello and welcome to the Ocean Rowing Club podcast, where each week I will talk to a past ocean rower to get their unique view on the ocean rowing experience. My guest this week is Abby Johnston. Hey Abby, please introduce yourself. Okay, so I'm Abby. I am 33 years old and I am from Southwest London. Sorry, Southwest London. And I was part of Team Extraordinary. So we were a female trio who rode across the Atlantic as part of the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic Challenge in 2021. Our crossing took us 42 days, seven hours and 17 minutes. Not that we were counting. And that was actually a new world record for a female trio. We took seven days off the previous record, which was pretty cool. Although watching this year's race, <laughs> we may not be record holders for much longer, but um, no, it was, it, was, it was a really good crossing for us. We like to start with the big one. Why did you want to row across an ocean? So I signed up to row across the Atlantic Ocean because, well, I'd heard of it many years ago. Um, I'm, I'm a rower. I learned to row at the age of 14, have been rowing ever since. So yeah, you know, fine boat, river rowing. Um, and I, and I definitely heard about the ocean row and, and heard you could do something crazy. Um, but I think I'd always thought, nope, too much, too big, too scary. No way. There's no way I could do that until I did the clip around the world race. So, um, I'm sure people have heard of it before, but clip around the world race is a sailing race that goes around the world. And you can sign up to the whole thing or sign up to legs. So I signed up to two legs. I did leg five, which is Australia up to China. And then I also did leg six, um, which is China across the North Pacific to America. And that's actually where I met Kat. So we were both on the same team and we sailed across the North Pacific together. So we left China... And then 31 days later, we arrived into Seattle. And when we were sat in Seattle after, you know, this life-changing, life-changing experience, sailing across a pretty brutal ocean, we were left thinking, what next? And it was at that point that I floated the idea of the Atlantic Row and actually cap pretty much then and there was like, yep, cool, I'm in, sign me up. So we didn't actually sign up for that year because it would have been a bit much rowing the Atlantic Ocean, uh, yeah, rowing the Atlantic Ocean six months later. But the following year in 2019, Kat actually got diagnosed with cervical cancer. And it's absolutely down to Kat that we signed up for the row. You know, she was really keen, I think, to have something, um, a challenge to focus on and, and something to, to push her on towards. So in the February of 2020, after Kat had undergone you know, uh, various treatments, we signed up to the Atlantic row. Um, so yeah, in February, 2020, we were signed up. And then at that point we thought, well, we need to look for another teammate. Um, and that's when I gave Charlotte a buzz. So I've known Charlotte since I was at school, we met at school, we learned to row together. She then followed me up to university, um, and then followed me around the country Ever since then, we rode together at um, a couple of rowing clubs as well. So I, I called her and said, do you want to row an ocean? And she was like, yep, definitely. She'd just done her, her own adventure. So she was keen. And so that's when Team Extraordinary was born. So I think then Kat 
um, got told in the July of 2020, just after that first lockdown had ended, that her cancer had come back. But actually for her and for us, that sort of became even more of a driving factor to, to get to the start line in December 2021, because we decided at that point, you know, we were definitely going to do it for three cancer charities, Cancer Research UK, Macmillan, and the Royal Marsden. So, you know, Cat going going through that process again um, was a was a real driving force to get us get us to the start line. Tell us the top three highlights of your crossing. So I think for me, the top three highlights would have to be we saw this incredible pod of whales one afternoon. We'd had a pretty miserable day. And um we actually always used to say that. We said, you know, that the ocean knows. The ocean knows when you're having a rubbish time, it'll send something along to just cheer you up. And we'd we'd had a bit of a bit of a slow morning. And then that afternoon we just saw an incredible, like it it was probably 45 minutes worth of whales just swimming past the boat. We have absolutely no idea how many there were. It was just way too many to count. They just kept coming and coming and coming. But, you know, they were less than a meter away from the end of our oars and they were playing in the waves and they were swimming under the boat and they were looking at us. And, you know, it was just absolutely incredible. And we sort of said to ourselves at that point, you know, how lucky we are to be out here experiencing this you know, when people pay to go whale watching and things like that. And, and, you know, we were just sat in the middle of the ocean watching a 45 minute display of of whales. It was incredible. So that would probably be number one. Number two would probably be the night sky. The night sky was just incredible, you know, with all the stars out and, and when the moon was up, it was like the floodlights were on. It was just absolutely amazing. And um, actually, we all loved our nighttime shift. So as a trio, it's quite hard to work, you know, your time off. So we rode two hours on, one hour off. But at night, um, we all tried to get four hours sleep. So it meant doing a two hour shift on your own. Um, and sort of to start with, I think we were all a bit like, oh, no, rowing in the dark, it's going to be horrible by yourself. But actually, we all sort of started to love it because it wasn't hot you could row in, you know, in your, at your own pace, you could have your own music on, you know, we all listened to, to music and Irving and I discovered the caffeine pills about halfway across the row. So, you know, we'd pop a caffeine pill, put some music on, um, and just row away listening to the night sky. And it was just some of the best rowing that I did probably. And then my final highlight would probably have to be crossing the finish line. I sort of made no secret of how hard I found the row. So for me, just running across the finish line, knowing we'd got a world record, knowing it wasn't going to be long, going to be long until I had a pina colada in hand was just an absolute highlight for me. The other two were sobbing. You know, I think they were so sad it was over, but I was just absolutely thrilled to be moments away from land. What was the hardest part physically and what was the hardest part mentally? I think... Physically, the hardest part of the row was probably the first 10 days or the first, yeah, first 10 days, first two weeks, because I think your body just is in complete and utter shock at what you're doing. And you sort of haven't settled into the rhythm of it. You know, every two hour shift feels absolutely brutal and you're not used to the lack of sleep yet. And, you know, I just, I just think it took a good two weeks for my body to actually realize what it was doing. And then I think that's when the mental side of it really comes into it because 
you know, you've been rowing for two weeks, you're absolutely exhausted, you're hallucinating because you're so tired. The other girls were seasick, you know, in those first few days. And then, you know, you've, you've been rowing for two weeks, but potentially you've still got another four weeks to go. And I think that's when, for me, the mental part really kicked in. And then the next four weeks, for me personally, were a real mental struggle. Just, you know, not knowing how much longer you had and knowing, you know, that you'd been rowing nonstop for three weeks or four weeks and potentially you still had another two or three to go. It was just so, so tough. And I'm not really sure why I found it so mentally tough. Maybe I was slightly naive. Maybe I went into it thinking, I'm a rower, I'm fit and I'm strong and, you know, I've sailed across an ocean and this isn't going to be that tough. And then actually when it was really tough, maybe that meant it was more of a um, shock to me than than other people who were perhaps a bit more ready for it. But yeah, you know, I, um, the girls always laugh and say to me, do you remember when you turned around to us in tears one day and said, when are we going to start having fun? And I think for me, that was probably two weeks in or three weeks in. And I think I was just exhausted and couldn't quite comprehend that we had so far to go. So yeah, I'd say, I'd say the first two weeks physically are probably the hardest um, until your body gets used to it. And then <laughs> the rest of the race is uh, all mental. Excluding people and pets, which three things did you miss most while you were at sea? Um, so actually, in terms of things that I actually missed, I don't think I missed that much. Um, obviously, apart from people and and you know home comforts like the you know, flushing loo. Um, I, I don't think there was all too much that I missed. You know, it's amazing how quickly an eight meter ocean rowing boat becomes your home. And, you know, we had everything on board that we needed. We had music, we had food, everything. I think the thing that I missed the most was probably fresh, crunchy fruit and veg. And everybody will laugh at that because I always say I don't really like vegetables, but you know, I just, felt like I really needed a crunchy carrot or a, you know, a nice crunchy apple. Halfway across, we found a tin of peaches and it was like just the best thing ever because they'd been hidden in one of our hatches and we were just all really craving some form of fruit. But other than that, I, you know, I sort of don't really feel like we missed that much. I mean, I guess something that you do miss is just like the variety that you get in everyday life. Like, you know, rowing an ocean is pretty monotonous and you don't do much other than row. So yeah, maybe just the variety of <laughs> doing something other than rowing. How much training did you do before the row? So in terms of training, we used Gus Barton or Ocean Ready on Instagram and he was fab. We started properly training with him in the January before we left, I think. So we did 11 months with him. We had all been doing various stuff in the gym. You know, Charlotte has a gym membership and I know Kat had been working with a PT and luckily because I'm a rowing coach, I had access to rowing machines and rowing boats and, and a gym as well. So we had all been doing bits before that, but we properly started with Gus in January and he was so great. You know, he did an assessment and found all our weaknesses and stuff. And I know we sort of got different things out of it. I think for cats, the biggest like benefit working with Gus was probably getting the the erg 
the Rowing Machine program and for Charlotte, you know, just getting a recap on how to do some of the weight training, the S&C stuff. And then for me, I think the biggest thing was being held accountable every day. You know, there's so much going on when you're trying to plan your campaign that actually just having an email come through every morning saying, this is your training for day um, for today really helps. And that's what was so great about Gus for me was, you know, he just had this program that was set out and, you know, I didn't have to think about it. The other really good thing was he was really good at helping, you know, I said, okay, well, I've had a shoulder injury in the past and he was really great at saying, cool, we can do these things to help. I think whether or not you have enough money in the budget for, you know, a personal trainer or whatever, I I do think just you need to do a year's worth of training and lots of it needs to be weight space, you know, strength and conditioning. And I think the biggest thing for me was just focusing on those areas that I knew were weak. So, you know, I've had a back injury before, I've had a shoulder injury, just countless injuries because of rowing. And it was just focusing on those areas, knowing that I was going to be as fit as possible going into the row. I think we definitely did do enough training, but still nothing prepares you for those first two weeks. And I have heard people say that the best way to train for rowing an ocean is just by rowing the ocean. So, you know, the first two weeks, no matter how how much training you do, I'm I'm sure will be brutal, but your body just, just does eventually get used to it. So yeah, Gus was absolutely fab and, and we did probably a solid year's worth of training, but I still still found the first two weeks absolutely horrid. Did you suffer from any injuries, sores, nasties or sickness? I was really lucky. I actually didn't get seasick at all, which is mad because when I did my sailing a few years ago, I got really seasick and I know I get seasick. You know, if I'm out on just a boat for half a day and it's just gently rocking around, I'll get seasick. So I'm not sure how I didn't get seasick, but I did take, I did use the patches um, you know, that you stick behind your ear and those work really well for me. And also I think I just knew that I got seasick. So if I wasn't rowing, I was lying down flat in the cabins for those first few days. And luckily I managed to avoid the seasickness. However, Charlotte and Kat did not. They had probably 24 hours of vomiting, which was delightful. But um, after that, we were all absolutely fine. Blisters. We all we all got blisters. Um, I actually got an infected blister at one point and spoke to the doctor and just, you know, took five days or however long worth of antibiotics. And actually, you know, if we'd been on land, maybe I wouldn't have done that. But just when you're out on the ocean, there was no point in in letting it get any worse. So um I did get get an infected blister. All of our bums, as I'm sure everybody always says, did get a bit spotty and red and sore, but those, you know, just pseudocrem and as much fresh air as possible was was our treatment for that. And and you know, none of it was so bad that that we couldn't row or anything. And then in term, terms of injuries, we did probably halfway across all start munching on ibuprofen like it was going out of fashion. I think for me, it was those old injuries that just started to get sore again. You know, my shoulder really, really did start to hurt halfway across um, the ocean. And I think it was just literally repetitive uh, strain stuff. So, um, you know, I was taking, taking ibuprofen fairly regularly. But thankfully, 
really nothing major at all. You know, bruises, a whole load of smash shins, the same same as everybody else. Those oar handles really hit you in the shins. But no, we were all fairly lucky and Kat got uh, sick one day or, you know, for about 24 hours. Um, she had a had a phone call to the doctor as well. And it was just because she'd been on antibiotics before the row and and I think her stomach was just not very happy. But yeah, like I say, we were actually all very lucky apart from a few dodgy blisters and um, a bit of seasickness at the beginning. We We made it to the other side all in one piece. Can you think of three songs which remind you of your row? I would probably say Ed Sheeran over past graffiti. And actually, I think probably if you asked all three of us, we would probably all say that song. I'm not really sure why that Ed Sheeran song in particular, but I think maybe it just came out before, you know, fairly recently before we left the Canary Islands and we'd all downloaded it and it was all on our um, playlist. So probably that one. I think also Timber by Pitbull, that classic. And I think just for the same reason, really, it was it was a song that all three of us had on one of our various playlists. And then maybe the last one for me would be Let the Sun Shine by Labyrinth, I think, because that's one that I used to like to put on in the mornings, you know, as the sun was coming up as loud as I could, just in my own headphones or when I was doing my night shift, because it's just a really good one to have up really loud and sing along to. I feel like it's quite feel good as well, you know, and you see many, many amazing sunrises when you're out on the ocean. So um, seems quite fitting that one. Did you suffer from any post-adventure blues? Yeah, so I think I did definitely suffer with some form of post-row, post-adventure blues and probably to a lesser extent also some form of sort of post-row anxiety almost. Um, I think the thing with it is that everybody talks about, oh, 42 days at sea, it's a life-changing you know, amount of time. But actually for me, I think it was more the two years leading up to the row, you know, you have this, this date in your diary for two years that on the 12th of December, we are going to be setting off across an ocean to do this adventure of a lifetime. And, and actually every day for two years, there's something you have to be thinking about, whether it's booking in your next training row, whether it's your charity ball you're organizing, whether it's emailing sponsors or doing your training, you know, we had messages flying around our WhatsApp group every day without fail. All, all talking about the row. And then obviously you get to Antigua, you have a great time. But then when you get back to London, all of that stops and you don't need to be planning anything. And you don't, you know, you don't, you no longer have this amazing goal to be working towards. And I think that kind of leaves you feeling a bit, a bit weird. And, you know, the anxiety thing was, was that I just always felt for a few months after the row, like I needed to be doing something like I was I had this feeling of of being late for the train or that I'd forgotten to do something or yeah, I don't know. It was quite it's quite hard to explain. But I think it's just the fact that for so long you're working towards something and and then it's over. And actually you go back to work and and it gets forgotten about quite quickly. And um people sort of don't care. Oh, they care, obviously. They're very excited for you and they say congratulations and want to hear about it. But 
once you've spoken about them about it to them once you know it then becomes can you email me this and can we have this meeting and let's get this booked in the diary and and all of those things and actually the row becomes a distant memory so it is a weird feeling you know a weird feeling that for so long you've worked towards something then you've done it it's absolutely incredible life-changing but then in the blink of an eye you're back at work again um and yeah that does leave you feeling a bit weird for for a while after the row I think and with regards to how did I deal with it I think the best way to deal with it is to meet up with other people from your race we were so lucky the the fleet of 2021 was just incredible and you know definitely made some lifelong friends from it but every time we catch up with them it's just so nice to talk about the row and relive certain bits of it and you know I, I think the best way to to overcome those adventure blues is just to meet up with people and chat about it and see how they're getting on and hear about their row and you know eventually your friends and family get a little bit bored of, <laughs> of hearing about it but you know when you talk to other people who've done it that sort of that was the best way for me to make it feel like it did happen and it wasn't all a dream but I guess for some people as well the best way to get over the adventure blues is to uh book in your next adventure but I haven't quite done that yet but yeah just meet up with people and and chat about it that was great for me what advice do you have for future ocean rowers one thing I would say to all ocean rowers is every campaign and every crossing is totally different and I can give everybody all the tips in the world, but sometimes you just have to go with what you think is best for you and your team. And getting advice from people is so great and and definitely do it. But also feel free to say to people, you know, actually, thanks. I, th- I think we've got that sorted because, you know, there were a few times in, in Lagomera where people were giving you advice or saying, do something like this. And actually it doesn't help. So I think that would be my first thing is just every campaign and every crossing is different. and so. You just do it your way. The other thing, what other advice would I give? Um, I think something really simple that actually we said when we were on the row was maybe create different playlists of music for different weeks. We probably got halfway across the ocean and realized we'd listened to all of our playlists and actually all of our music was fairly similar. So we were going a bit stir crazy with the music that we were hearing. You know, it was just the same every time to the point where um, Irving had a country playlist that we started listening to to country music. And actually it was great because, like I say, we'd sort of had enough of Ed Sheeran. But um, yeah, maybe get friends and family to create a playlist um, and it can be called week one, then someone else does week two, week three, and try to get them to vary the songs as much as possible because, you know, music and podcasts and stuff are, are one of the things that that keep you going the most out on the ocean. What else? What else? Maybe I think we actually wished we'd had an app or um, a book or something on the stars. I know lots of people know lots of things about the stars and constellations and stuff, but the, you know, the stars that you see are absolutely incredible. And, And every night we picked out Orion's belt and that was kind of our marker for whether or not we were heading in the right direction. But apart from Orion's belt, I didn't know many other many other constellations up in the night sky and and you know you spend a lot of time looking at it so maybe 
a book on stars, maybe a book on wildlife as well, actually. We spoke to a few teams and we said, we've seen this white bird with black tail feathers or whatever. And and they'd say, oh, yeah, that's a so-and-so. So maybe, so, you know, if you can afford the weight, maybe something like that, just so you can find out about the stars and, and find out about the wildlife out at sea. What else? Maybe take different snacks. So we all packed our own snack bags and, and they were great and they hit the right calorie targets. But actually, for me, I really didn't want to eat dried fruit and nuts when I got about two weeks in, you know, your body is craving salt. And, and I was trading my um, Freddo, you know, the chocolate bar Freddos for cats, snacker jacks, salt and vinegar snacker jacks. Oh my goodness. So I think variety yeah, is just the spice of life. So maybe don't just take 40 packets of hula hoops, take a whole mix of things and take different chocolate and different sweets and, and stuff like that. So that you know, when you're two weeks into your snack packs, you've got a bit of variety in there. And I think maybe my final thing would be just know how hard it is going to be. Everybody talks about all the highlights. And I think even now I'm, you know, sat here thinking, oh my God, all the amazing things we did and saw, but it is called the world's toughest row for a reason because it is so hard. So yes, you will have an amazing time and Yes, you'll see some amazing, incredible wildlife, but you will also be absolutely exhausted. You will have hallucinations. You will get seasick. You will get sore hands, sore bums, you know, everything. So just know that whilst it is incredible, it is also one of the hardest things you are ever going to do. So just mentally prepare yourself for that. And finally, would you do it again? This is actually a question we get asked a lot when we do talks about the row or whatever. Would you do it again? And I would do it again. I would do it again for the first time. So even knowing what I know now about how hard it was and, you know, how long it's going to take and all of those things, I, I would definitely still go back to Lagomera and do it all over again. But I have no desire to do another one. So I think our crossing, everything went right, you know, nothing broke. Uh, we all got along really well. We got a world record. We all got there in one piece. So I have no desire to to do another one because for me, it would be risking that ocean rowing experience. Um, and yeah, it, it was just really hard. So, so I wouldn't want to do another one, but I would definitely go back to Lagomera 2021 and do the whole thing again, because it was absolutely amazing. And I would tell anybody that wanted to row an ocean that they should row an ocean, but I will not be doing another one. <laughs> Huge thank you to Abby for sharing her story and all of her advice. It would be great to get the rest of her crew on to tell their stories too. If you're an ocean rower and you would like to share your story, please get in touch. Either drop me an email to theoceanrowingclub at gmail.com or send me a DM on Instagram at theoceanrowingclub. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tap the five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and like, share and recommend it to all of your friends. And don't forget to join us again next week when we are back with another solo row. Toodle pip!